Hello, dudes, dudettes, duders, and everybody in between. Welcome to The Hollywood Fishbowl. I am and can only be your host, Jesse Kester. And today we continue to frolic through the Michael Weesey Productions fields with an interview with Pamela J. Smith. And this is when the beauty of networking starts to show itself. So, we had John Booker on long, long ago, and he recommended Kathy Fong Yoneda long, long ago. And Kathy is published by MWP, and she recommended that we talk to Pamela J. Smith long, long ago. Also, let's toss in Jennifer Dornbush, who I reunited with recently at an event that I went to with Kathy Fong Yoneda. Anyway... Kathy was the one who introduced me to Ken, who set up this partnership with MWP, and now we are seeing it all. It's a small industry. That's what I'm learning through all of this, is that everybody knows everybody, and uh, fantastic people tend to cluster together. So get ready for this conversation with Pamela J. Smith. The two books I was given to review from her were... Romantic Comedies, where she breaks down uh, what's fantastic about romantic comedies. It's a very light read. It's kind of like a coffee table. Or dare I say it, dare I go so vulgar, it would be perfect for a bathroom collection of reading material. And that is not a slight. That is one of my favorite places. Too much information I know. Moving on, the other book, the one that really, really kind of dug its nails into me was The Power of the Dark Side, which we talk about at length in this conversation. It's a really unique book. Her approach to writing it is, um, well, it's, it's, it's The Power of the Dark Side. I will say it is frightfully unique. And we get into all of that. And I'd love for you to get into what we got into in this conversation, but there's just one minor droplet of a do left to do, and that is that you should, you know, you should do your civic podcasting duty and swing on over to iTunes, give us that sweet, sweet, succulent five-star review and a couple of kind words so that we can read them on the air. We can praise you for praising us. It is, uh... (laughs) Uh, uh, I'm trying not to say the vulgar version of something you do in a circle when you're all just praising each other, but that's what we want to have happen here, the, the polite version of that circle activity. That's it. That's it. I'm cutting myself off. Pamela J. Smith is a delightful guest, uh, and I'd, I'd rather you hear her thoughts than mine. So without further ado, I give to you Pamela J. Smith. Drops. Morpheus is fighting Neo. Hello and welcome to the Hollywood Fishbowl. I am and can only be your host, Jesse Kester. But that's not all, there's more. Today I am joined by the one, the only, the illustrious Pamela J. Smith. Welcome to the program. How are you? Would you prefer I call you Pamela, Pam, PJS, PSJ? <laughs> I have many nicknames. Pamela will be just fine. Pamela, thank you so much for sure. for enduring that. And Morpheus is done fighting Neo. There's a lot I'd like to get into today. And okay. um, among those topics, among the topics that are piquing my curiosity are evil. Uh, also among them are rom-coms, are uh, uh, kids' books, and of course, in addition to that, the Children's uh, Book Writers of L.A. group. Can we get into all that today? Absolutely. Let's go. Okay. B- uh, b- 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 slow down. 
this. All right. There's something to do before that. Before we get into any of that, we do something called five and five. Sounds good. You're a very agreeable guest already, and I appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Question number one, where did you grow up and how did that inform your adulthood? I grew up in Dalhart, Texas, which is out in the West Texas, Northwest Plains. Uh, my family had a cattle ranch, so my early years were spent on this wide open nothing but horizon place where it's said that you either go crazy or you get creative. And I was really fortunate that I got to get creative. My parents read to us all the time. They were very supportive and it was wonderful. It was adventures. It was horses. It was big sunsets. It was stories and ideas and it was just Fabulous. It was a great time to grow up as a kid in a small town in middle America. Eight seconds left. That was perfect timing. That was so good. Thank you for making it easy for me. I won't say who, but we had a recent guest who was talking straight through the beeps and after his minute. You know who. Question two. Um, what is the must-engage media? What's the book, the movie, the album that opened up your brain to the secrets of the universe? Great question. For me, it was Oscar Wilde's Fairy Tales when I was four years old. It is a marvelous book, and he has about six or seven wonderful fairy tales, and they deal with uh, the soul, with generosity, with the interconnectedness of the world, with responsibility, with love, with lost love. And it really set the tone for me as a romantic as far as media goes and the idealism that can be portrayed in stories. And I would highly recommend anybody who has not yet read, check out Oscar Wilde's Fairy Tales. I have a thought that we don't have time to address in Five and Five. We will get to it later. Okay. And it has to do with your how you frame yourself. That was very interesting. Telling details in there. Question number three. What is the greatest source of joy in your life? Friends and family, and the intellectual interactions that we have. I'm really fortunate to have a number of very close friends who are really smart, very creative, adventurous, and love conversations and love talking about art and philosophy and media and sociology. So it's just wonderful and so enjoyable to be interacting with these people quite often. Being around people who are smart, and for me in particular, people who are smarter than me, there's nothing more invigorating, nothing more fun in this world. Absolutely. It's such Learning a joy. new things. Yeah. And, and just seeing how people with great intelligence flow through a day and flow through a conversation, it's... Wild, really wild to watch. I would love to talk about it more. I'm so glad there's a rest of the show after five and five. <laughs> Question number four, what gets under your skin? Idiocy. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'll do my best. Incivility. Um, selective stupidity. That's offensive. Willful ignorance. Willful ignorance. 
or as I once said about something I had been doing, it was blind naivete in the face of all obvious evidence. <laughs> I, I would love to know what prompted that, <laughs> that analysis of oneself. Um, I, I think the, the biggest problem that we have today does center around a lack of the awareness of our interconnectedness. And so much separatism and identity politics, and so that really bothers me because we're supposed to be evolving from tribal consciousness to individual consciousness to group consciousness. I would love to hear more about this. Oh, you will. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> and we've got one more, last one. Advice, advice, advice. What is the best advice you've received in your lifetime, and what advice do you want to put out into the world? Oh, excellent. Uh, the best advice I received was, if you go ahead and do it, you won't have to regret not having done it. Mm -hmm. And at the end of your life, you don't want to be regretting all the things you were not courageous enough or just carefree enough to do. Mm -hmm. So it was about exploration uh, investigation, curiosity, and that is what I'd like to pass on to other people is, you know, hey, this is a this is an amazing thing. You're conscious in a cosmos that is big with all <laughs> kinds of things to learn. You know, stay curious, go and explore, even if it's just in your mind. I'm cutting off the beeps. I don't want to hear another beep. I don't want you interrupted ever again till the end of this show. <laughs> Uh, we do have celebration music for five and five. Would you like to hear it? I'd love to hear it. Play it on. That's it. That's all it is. <laughs> um, yes, it was what caught me. What struck me in all of the five and five was the strength with which you defined yourself as a romantic. Hmm. I know you as a writer. I know you as a public speaker, but I've never heard you say with that same intonation, I'm a writer or I'm a public speaker, the, the way you said that you were a romantic at your core, which is a, a beautiful thing, I think. <laughs> and I could be wrong. <laughs> well, let's see. Do you feel like a romantic? Let's go, I, that's the first thing I want to know about before we get into evil. Okay. What does it mean to be a romantic? What is, what is that in you? Well, it, you have to spell it with a capital R. Okay. And go back to the Romantic era from a couple of centuries ago, where uh, romance, idealism, chivalry was a bit of a response to the age of reason and the incoming strength of science and the scientific method. <clears throat> Pardon me. And if you look also at the, the Cartesian split between uh, spirituality and mystery versus uh, palpable physical reality, which was essential for getting us moving forward and not being stuck in superstition. Mm -hmm. So granted, we had to do that, but you don't want to lose all of the wonder. You yes. don't want to lose the mystery. Yes, yes. And what I found that in, in a lot of my reading, and I first came across this in Oscar Wilde, mm -hmm. and the particular story was The Nightingale and the Rose. And it was about this yearning love. And the yearning love makes us reach higher to be better. Mm. 
We have a chapter about it in our Show Me the Love book. It's called Chivalric Transformative Love. Mm -hmm. And it's that kind of love, well, in a bit of self-revelation. Once in high school, I had a crush on somebody who was very smart and particularly in math. And Mm -hmm. I said, oh, I need to be better at math so that I can be worthy and it helped. <laughs> I got better grades in math. <laughs> but I, the, everything, the, the things about my wife that I love the most are those that, are, that I can't ever find in myself. Ah. So I wonder if that's a trick of youth, a, a willful delve into the naivete. What, how did you describe that? <laughs> um, see, my phrase was uh, blind naivete in the face of all obvious evidence. Did you did you find that bared out throughout your life that that the that to become better in love with someone you had to become more like them or because I don't mean to I don't mean to say that that uh, loving my wife means to be as opposite from her as possible it means to understand the parts in her that aren't in me so that I can be a better rounded person like half of that is exactly what you're saying and half of it <laughs> is not what you're saying. No, no question in there. <laughs> so do your best with it. Okay. I think that for the sake of this particular discussion, we're going to also be looking at love with a capital L. And one of the purposes of love, and particularly romantic love, is to take us to a higher state of awareness. And just a quick little digression. Um, I say we're always just looking for the light. I mean, many people say this. We're looking mm-hmm. for the light. And one of the places a lot of people find it is sex, drugs, and rock and roll. But ultimately, it's looking for the light. They are fun. The last one's a little too loud for me at this age, but... <laughs> yeah. They are a nice diversion. Yes. And so that, that question, I think, is an inherent question in any discussion of uh, love and relationships. Is about mm-hmm. the opposites attract, or do you need someone who's very much like you? And I think it depends on where you're going with a relationship. You know, some people choose love just to have the exhilaration of the the yearning, and often it's, it's better if the person doesn't want you. The unobtainable love is so chivalric, it's so Arthurian. Yes. And it was promoted, Every, officially promoted. Everything can stay pure in your imagination. It's it, You can make it be the most perfect thing in the universe Yes. It's not messy like things are in real life. As- True. Yeah, Robert Graves, the wonderful historian and poet and novelist, uh, wrote a book called The White Goddess. Mm-hmm. And it's full of all kinds of amazing information. But in there he has, um, he talks about the muse and how important the muse is. Yes. Whether it's another person or something within yourself, or the thought of another person. But he says very explicitly, never marry the muse, because creativity and domesticity can come into conflict. And he said, now it's not impossible, Yeah. but you have to be very careful about that, because they're both very valuable, but they oftentimes don't mix. She has, my wife has, uh, when did this turn into a therapy session about my marriage? (laughs) Because love and romance is so fascinating. It's fun, though, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, my wife, and we spell that with a capital W in this house, I'll tell you. <laughs> good man, good man. Um, I, I don't know that she is my muse. We work together on a lot of projects, 
Um, and we, she's a singer. I'm a filmmaker, so oh. she'll do vocals for the songs I write or the movies I make, and I'll do video work for the songs that she does, like music videos or whatever. Nice. So we collaborate a lot. I know I've been her muse a couple of times. I know she's been my muse a couple of times, but I don't know how much... I don't, th- I don't know that for the majority of either of our work, we lean on each other as a muse, but we do lean on each other for uh, support, for <laughs> technical know-how, for mm-hmm. artistic ability. But this isn't, this is about you. We, we <laughs> <laughs> but yes, it's, it's about the uh, individual experience of these universalities. Yes. Yes. Let's let's talk about your books for a minute. Okay. We were supposed to start with evil. We're a million miles away from evil. Read <laughs> <laughs> all the good stuff right away. Um, the power of the dark side. I was reading it, and something uh, there's uh, something was striking me about your writing style, and that is, I think you write more how I think than I've ever read before. And let me talk about what what I mean by that. Uh, most, most of these books are like most Mike Weiss books are, um, kind of straightforward instructional manuals, whether it's instruction Uh on philosophy or instruction on technical information, they're, uh, lightly written, kind of jaunty, personal, uh, uh, guidebooks to, to certain ideas. This book is much more here's a thought, here's a meditation on that thought, here's a thing about that thought. It's it's much more meditative and free-flowing and similar to how I perceive the world. Does any of that make sense? You've written the book, you know what's in it. <laughs> yes, and I'm very pleased to hear that because that uh, consciously was my goal, was to make uh, people really think about these things and bring their own interpretation to these concepts, these things that people have been puzzling over well, since we dropped down out of the trees. And there, the, the book lends itself very well to uh, cracking open to any page and reading any part of it and trying to figure out what that part means to you as you're reading it and how you can apply it that day. It's a very um, versatile book. I haven't read one quite like this in my lifetime, and I found it very interesting. Wow, may I quote you? You yes. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely you may. May I quote you? Absolutely. <laughs> As I go through these and I'm <laughs> highlighting different parts and meditating on them. Absolutely. It's a very meditative book. It Well, so let's let's talk a little bit about about evil. It's it, it's about the the darkness in the world and how darkness affects us and how darkness manifests and how how it manifests not just in the real world but in our stories and the the potential connections and the potential disconnects between real life evil and mythological evil, mm-hmm. uh, real life darkness and mythological darkness. Sometimes it lines up parallel tracks. Sometimes they couldn't be more different. The fantasy version of darkness couldn't be more antithetical to what the real life experience of pain is like. Uh, again, no question in there. So good luck with this. interview. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I would, um, I would start with um, a recounting of my own search for the whys of darkness. Mm-hmm. And I was uh, brought up Catholic for my first 10 years and went to Catholic school, got a great education there. And then uh, because the family was shifting and changing, 
<clears throat> then I uh, started going to a regular Protestant church, uh, First Christian Church. And uh, then when I was 12, I discovered Omar Khayyam's Rubiyat in my grandparents' library and was exposed to Sufism and mystic Islam mm-hmm. through the quatrains of Omar Khayyam. So by that, you know, by that time, there was already a lot of exposure to, well, the stories that we tell each other or that we are told about evil and why there is evil and who's in charge. Yes. And is it a Manichaean universe with uh, positive and negative all the way through? Is it more of a, uh, a one life interconnecting? Mm-hmm. And then when I got to college, I was studying more the, uh, the concepts of reincarnation and multiple lives and uh, was fortunate to study uh, Mahayana Buddhism. Mm-hmm. with one of the big teachers of that at the University of Texas. And he also brought in physicists to come and talk to us about the physics of the Mahabharata and the Vedas and to see how there's all of this um, philosophy and physics, and now we know also uh, neurophysiology and mm-hmm. neuropsychology, that begins to make a stab at explaining why there is evil, why bad things happen to good people. And this is where I I feel like you just set up a perfect opportunity to kind of zoom out a little bit. Um, As somebody who's studied, and it sounds studied pretty uh, thoroughly and responsibly, a wide swath of different religions, a question that keeps coming up in my mind uh, as I read not just religious texts, but, but your book or... Um, pretty much any any text at all is, or have any experience at all is the the is is there a possible fallacy of evil that um, that good and evil are entirely fictional ideas like that we are impressing them on an indifferent universe mm-hmm. uh, and yeah what are your thoughts on, <laughs> on that yeah <clears throat> I wish I had the answer. Like we have, um, we have hopes and dreams baked into us as a species. We have ambitions uh-huh. as a species, and I'm not entirely convinced that those ambitions are correct. I'm not either. Okay, and I think okay. we need to keep taking a look at that. The more we learn about evolutionary biology and evolutionary psychology, and we begin to see where the ideas of gods mm-hmm. come from, uh, a lot of it comes right out of developmental psychology. Oh, and I also need to in- inject here, too. Please, please. I did uh, eight years of formal study in comparative mysticism Okay. Um, with uh, Georgia Lambert, who's a wonderful, wonderful teacher. And um, we looked at a lot of the different systems and how they go about explaining the dark and the light. And so much of it is perspective. Yeah. One of the examples about... Uh, who gets to call something evil? Okay. Well, first of all, there's that old saying, one man's freedom fighter is another man's terrorist. Mm-hmm. Depends on your perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But another analogy I like is, okay, your hair is getting a little long and you've got split ends. So you get a haircut. The hair goes, oh my gosh, I've lost something. Why are you cutting me? Eek! 
And then, of course, it feels better because it's lighter and all. But for that moment, mm-hmm. let's just imagine. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, that the hair goes, ah. This I'm is suffering. not a bridge too far to imagine. <laughs> I often think about my hair screaming during a haircut. Okay. But in the big picture, mm-hmm. the, the entire body, the self, is going, yeah, this is better. This is an improvement. Mm-hmm. So it kind of depends on where you are. What's yeah. your perspective? Or as Douglas Adams said in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, we could put you in the machine with the fairy cake in it. And when you eat the fairy cake and you see the size of the cosmos and your place in it, it gives you a sense of perspective. Mm-hmm. Unless you're Zaphod Bebelbrox, who knows he's the center of the universe. Yes, yes. But I, I think so much of our interpretation of evil and good is based on our own personal experiences and whether or not we like something but the a question that was inherent in your <clears throat> in your question to me was is there such a thing as evil separate from an interpretation of evil and out of that question you get um, Voldemort and you get Sauron and you get you know all of the well you get Satan yeah, yeah, and yeah. You get, the nothing but evil yeah, archetypes. Yeah, but what's interesting too, out of the uh, the Christian religion, let's say, is the uh, interesting fact that Lucifer's name means the light bringer. Yes. No. There's some. There are some wrinkles in the in yeah. Christianity that <clears throat> that warrant further inspection. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there is a a wonderful series of books by. Philip Pullman called The Golden Compass, and I forget the names of the other two, but, oh, His Dark Materials is the name of the series. And in that, he does a very good job of uh, fictionalizing the concept that the Archangel Michael was fighting on the side of Yahweh, but it was for emotional control of humans and getting people just to feel and not to think. Lucifer's stream of influence and thought was to get people to think. And that was the problem in the garden, was you weren't supposed to think. You weren't supposed to eat of the tree of knowledge. Yep, yeah. No, there was one tree that was specifically uh, off limits. Yeah, so don't think. And then one more thing about that line. I love Milton's idea that uh, in the war in heaven, one-third of the angels were lined up with the archangel Michael. One-third of the angels were lined up with Lucifer and left heaven. But there was another third that were the neutral angels. Mm-hmm. What, what, how, what, of that, what became of them? They became the Swiss. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Well, I knew, I knew, we, I knew you'd, you'd, you'd knock a home run if I set it up for you. <laughs> okay, so maybe not exactly, yeah, yeah. but I think it's an interesting concept that there was that, that neutrality there. There's, there are, I'm finally like studying the Bible diligently. I didn't get into it. I I went to church a lot when I was a kid, uh, showed my rebel teeth through my teen years by saying that I was an atheist and everyone around me was an idiot. And now I'm finally (laughs) walking, peddling that one back (laughs) with a little bit of gentleness. Uh, It's way more interesting than I ever imagined it would be. The Bible, the Mm -hmm. stories in it are Mm -hmm mind-bogglingly complicated and beautiful in their poetry and yeah yeah that 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 uh 
you know, when you're a kid, you're like, uh, the, hey, no tree of knowledge. That shows you just exactly what the religion is made of. But that there's more to the story about redemption and... There's a lot more going on than just oppression in that in that book, depending on how you mm-hmm. take it. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, again, no question in there. I am really <laughs> <laughs> setting you up. Well, it's also a lot of really good storytelling. Yeah, yeah. And, that's what uh, that's what drew me to it. Was I need to like as a, as somebody who ostensibly is declaring himself a storyteller in the world, mm-hmm. I better study these stories that have endured. So please, yes, I will yes. stop interrupting you because you're the star of the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's uh, <clears throat> back to the evil question. Yes. I, even though having written the book, and I'll tell you what, there for a while, it was darn depressing. Going in and, you know, looking at this kind of evil and this kind of bad thing and the horrible things that people have done to each other over the millennia. There's no and, ceiling. There's no limit. No. There's no end to no. it. As Monty Python says, nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition, <laughs> nobody. but there it is. Yeah, you know? yeah. no, it's it's. Um, how how are you feeling on us as a species now? As you after you did the deep dive into everywhere we've been and where we are, do you see improvement, but not enough? Do you see a backslide down the hill? Where uh, are you at? What? How do you feel that we are interpreting evil as a species? Well, unfortunately, at this moment, we are pointing the finger at each other in a tribal fashion. And uh, the evil ones are the ones that don't agree with me. Mm-hmm. And we can't possibly even have a discussion about it because you're just evil and I'm not. Yeah, yeah. Now, is it a backslide? I think it might be the kind of backslide that goes along with two steps forward, one step back. But as a friend of mine once said... Um, Two steps forward, one step back. That's called a cha-cha. <laughs> Aurora Miller has written yeah, a wonderful yeah, book called yeah. Butterfly Soup. And um, in many of the mythic systems, it is said that we are moving into a new age now. Mm-hmm. Whether you're looking at the Mayan calendar, at the, the Hindu um, yugas or cycles or you astrology. You don't, you don't have to look farther than science. We're in the age of man now where the the right. guys at top have said that we've influenced the environment so much that, uh-huh. that we're in a new Anthropocene or what do they call those? What's that yeah, word? Yeah, Anthropocene. Yeah. Thank yeah. you for pronouncing it better. I was, we'll uh, see. That's, <laughs> call in but dial one for Jesse's pronunciation, <laughs> two for Pamela. So we'll take a vote who got it. Okay. But that, that uh, not just in mythology, in a very mm-hmm. literal physical sense, we have crossed into a new threshold on this planet. Very much so. <clears throat> a number of the interpretations that different uh, philosophical slash mythic systems give it is that we are moving, in particular, let's just use um, short-term patterns, Mm -hmm. out of the age of Pisces. And this this is astronomy, not just astrology. But we are moving out of an age that's been, well, everyone is like, what? 2,516 years or something. But the age of Pisces, it is said, was the age of devotion to the ideal and beauty mm-hmm. and religions flourished. Mm-hmm. And that was to be expected, you know, according to the broad view of the systems. We are moving into the age of Aquarius, which is more of an age of 
conscious creativity, spirit into matter. Uh, harmony and understanding? Harmony and understanding, yes, but from a higher perspective. Well, interestingly enough, about 25 years ago, I was giving a talk at Fort Knox, Kentucky, to a, mm-hmm. a group of Army officers and was talking about the humanity's next archetype mm-hmm. and that it was the magician. And the, you know, defining the magician as someone who sees patterns others do not see. <clears throat> Pardon me. Uh, someone who sees patterns others do not see and who creates patterns where they did not exist. And that if you look at the tarot card, the um, the water bearer, Aquarius, mm-hmm. has the uh, one foot in the water and one foot on land. So mm-hmm. you're transitional. You can deal in both worlds. Mm-hmm. Also, the concept of androgyny. Now, this was in 1994. This was before a lot of the current LGBTQI plus mm-hmm. movements got so strong and it began manifesting for many more people in their personal lives. So, and I didn't make that up. I was just reporting what yeah, I learned yeah, from, yeah. you know, it's the mystery school things. Mm-hmm. So along those lines, I think we are seeing coming to fruition what a lot of the ancient systems have been saying is the next step in a pattern mm-hmm. that they see from a much higher perspective. Yeah. And that uh, Karen Armstrong wrote a, a very telling book called The Battle for God. I love talking to you because as I was reading your book, I was wondering, is this how she thinks? And yes, it is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that you are you are doing like these deep pull quotes. You are able to bang, rattle off names of different people and how they relate to different things in, in this kind of uh, really flowing style. This is just how you process the world. It's very cool to see it uh, manifest in front of me. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. Keep going. I will try to stop interrupting. It's a conversation. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But she points out that for every advance, there is a reaction. Well, I think Mm -hmm. so did Newton, you know, Mm -hmm. for every action. A lot of these spiritual things have also a version in the world of physics and science that matches pretty closely, depending on how open you are to poetry. Well, and then to take a little uh, sidestep definition of mythology... it's been said that uh, a really good, solid myth is true on at least seven levels. And that can be physiologically, Mm -hmm. you know, physically, Mm -hmm. um, sociologically, psychologically, historically, geographically, geologically, uh, astrologically, astronomically, cosmic physically. This is such a relief. I've been working on a script this week, and I've been breaking down the scenes and giving each character uh, pathos, ethos, and logos to define what they're trying to do in that scene. Um, the what, What's their emotional drive? What's their logical drive? And what's what are the ethics that govern their, their external behavior? And as I was writing it, I was thinking, this is no way to break down characters. This is no way to, to write a scene, to format a scene. And then you just totally gave me permission by saying that these <laughs> myths have to exist on seven levels to function. I've yes. only got three mapped out, but um, it, it gives me strength and courage as I continue <laughs> on this one. Good. I will suggest another book to you then mm-hmm. that uh, would be wonderful for any storyteller to have in their library. And it's called uh, When They Severed Earth from Sky. And it's about how humans make myths. 
And included in that is how we do it from uh, geological events Mm -hmm. and how, for instance, a a line of uh, kings in a dynasty will eventually be condensed into just one king by that name. And so Mm -hmm. it's a a really... um, Scholarly but very accessible book by Barber and Barber when they that severed part, Earth the accessible part—that's my favorite part of any book. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I'm lazy. I like a nice accessible <laughs> book. It's very accessible. It's got a great index, and you'll learn so much about how we create myths. Um, rom coms. Want to talk about that? What can we lighten it up for? Okay, okay. <laughs> Watched In and Out last night. Oh, isn't it great? It there are a lot of Barbara Streisand jokes in that movie. Yes, like, yes. What, was there no other cultural touchstone for people to understand? Well, it was made what in the eighties, I think. Eighties. It really feels like a like a forties fifties screwball farce mm-hmm. that was made in the eighties. Uh huh. Um, it, it's of an era and also of another era when I was watching. I kept feeling like this is a 40s, like this is Billy Wilder style right. screwball You're nuttiness. Right. Making that note. Yeah. What, what okay. speaks to you about that movie? It's so sweet. And... You have an individual who doesn't even know himself. It's a wake-up call mythic theme mm-hmm. where somebody, you know, it's like Arthur goes and pulls the sword out of the stone. Well, he didn't know he was going to be king. Yeah. Or Luke Skywalker, you know, come save me. Mm-hmm. And off he goes. He doesn't know what legacy is behind the Skywalker family name no, at that point. No, no clue. No clue. And uh, Kevin Klein doesn't realize that he's gay. He just doesn't know. And so that wake up as he begins to find his own identity is handled in such a a sweet, and I mean that positively sweet, mm-hmm. not overly sentimental, saccharine sweet, but it's handled so positively, and yet there is opposition. There is maybe not dark evil, but there's opposition. There's Joan Cusack, whose life is is torn asunder by his oh. Ignorance, willful or otherwise. And I love her. I love Joan Cusack so much. She's such a delight. Yeah. Now, she's one that in that movie embodies that phrase, willful naivete in the face of all obvious evidence. She was fighting tooth and nail to hold on to that naivete. Yes. (laughs) What, what, What led you to write the whole book on rom coms, Uh, which is another like a delightful, breezy, crack it open to any page and just have a nice time kind of book. This one is much lighter. The rom-com book is much, much lighter than the, the dark side book. Absolutely much, much lighter. I will have to credit Ken Lee of Michael Weesey Productions for that. He called me up. Uh, so he suggested this book. What, what yeah. brought it up? When? How did it come to life? It came to life because um, someone from one of the distribution companies, I think... I forget exactly who it was, but they called up Ken and said, uh, there was just this article in Vanity Fair that said that couples who watch romantic comedies together and talk about them Mm -hmm. versus couples who go to couples therapy and talk about their problems, the people who watch the rom-coms have a better stay-together rate. Are you kidding? That was the article in Vanity Fair. 
And is so, it because like the 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 pre conversation stimulus is something completely outside of their their internal thoughts and their internal life? So if you watch a rom-com, you're pulled out of yourself and into another world for an hour and a half. You come back into yourself with new information. But when you're going into a, a couples therapy, you might be going in uh, preloaded with the information, the internal information that you're, you're looking inward when you walk in the door to a therapy session and you're looking inward when you walk out. At least with the rom-com, you're looking outward when you walk into the session and you end up looking outward as, as the conversation flows. Maybe? I don't know. Uh, no, I think that's a good way to look at it. And also, there is less pressure. There's less uh-huh. condemnation. Uh, often in couples therapy, one person has been drugged there against their will. Mm-hmm. But you sit down with a bowl of popcorn and a couple glasses of wine, and yeah, yeah, no one's going to say no to that. Chat about it, and yep. you know, yep. it's like, oh, so you just plant those little seeds of realization. Yeah, yeah. What did you like about it? What did you think about it? What did you that kind of thing? What didn't you like? What what, what did you agree with? What didn't you agree with? Yes. Yep. Yep. And it's about them when you start the conversation. It's not what's wrong with me and what's wrong with you and how is this destroying our lives? It's (laughs) how did they find a solution to their problem? Right. Kinds of questions. Right. So you kick the book off. What's the writing process for that? Just watching a whole bunch of all your favorite movies again? Well, I must admit, and Ken and I have often joked about this in um, other interviews, is that I... I said, Ken, why are you calling me? I'm the military mythology <laughs> metaphysics person. I don't, I don't do rom-coms. Yeah, but your affection is so clear in the book. You, <laughs> there seems to be part of you that enjoys them. If not, you're an excellent bluffer. <laughs> no, actually, I did come to appreciate many of them more. Mm-hmm. And I am thankful that I had the opportunity to do it. What didn't you like about them? Where do they fall short? Or where did they fall short? What, oh, was, what was sticky for you on that? The- it wasn't so much that I didn't like them. I just wasn't a big fan. I've mm-hmm. got some favorites. You know, yeah, Love yeah. Actually, who doesn't like that? You know, In and Out, and a number of the others that I liked. But if I were choosing a genre to watch for a week, it wouldn't have been romantic comedies. What would it have been? Oh, my favorite movie of all time is Apocalypse Now. Interesting. Yeah. I also like Streets of Fire, mm-hmm. Walter Hill movie from the uh, 80s with Diane Lane and Willem Dafoe. It's fabulous. The nice thing is when I get recommendations on this, I don't have to furiously look for my notepad to draw. We're recording. Uh-huh. I just listen to it back later right, and I, I look and <laughs> jot it down. Then I'm not completely ignoring your suggestion. I just know that it's archived and yeah. I will jot it down later. Yeah. And Lawrence of Arabia. Okay. So I go more for the either the the broad sweeping and let's have some philosophy and some idealism and some snappy dialogue and let's have some substance to it. Mm-hmm. And I tend to think of rom-coms more as light entertaining fluff and that's perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. But I hadn't seen a lot of those and I got recommendations from friends. On, oh, you have to see this one. Oh, you have to see that one. And then I began to appreciate them even more. Which one surprised you the most? Which one did you think was going to be a total uh, total bomb going in and turned out to be a, a moving piece? Train wreck. Really? Yes. Ken, bless his heart, Ken mm-hmm. said, Pamela, you have to include train wreck. And I went, I purposefully didn't go see that movie. I don't want to see that movie. Ooh, it just looks awful. It looks like a train wreck. Mm-hmm. He said, Include it. So I went, okay, yes, sir. Watched it and said, he's right. 
it was so heartwarming, idealistic, had a great core message Mm -hmm. that the way we experience love in our younger years builds that love map. And then that uh, influences how we enter the love relationships from then on Mm -hmm. until we consciously step back and say, I'm going to let go of my past, get rid of that programming. I'm going to open up to new experiences. It's hard to do. It's very hard it's, to do. Uh, we we base pretty much all of our day to day behavior on the things we learned when we were. We base one hundred percent of the things we do on things we learned before in our lives. Yes. And when you when yes. you actively are taking that foundation out from underneath yourself, that's very scary, very painful. Uh, yeah. It, Again, it no is. question. But it's it is essential if we are going to grow. That's a that's a big question that I think we were kind of tiptoeing up to in the the evil discussion is what are the what are the steps forward what 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 do we be what do we be doing as people better how's that for a question <laughs> that is a very good question <laughs> you get the the idea behind yeah. it <laughs> the essential core of it is clear I do and and I would go back to that concept of tribal consciousness, individual consciousness, Mm -hmm. and group consciousness, and that that is the ideal evolutionary track for humanity, and that we need to be rising, and we could get into the chakras here too, because they reflect that as well. The lower the chakras, the more it's about me, 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 and Mm -hmm. my tribe, my Mm -hmm. little group. And then when a person begins to individuate and become... Uh, more of a person who can think for themselves, then that's a step up mm-hmm. because you're actually starting to think and build a mental body yeah. instead of just being influenced by tradition. Um, we always do it this way. You know, your beard has to be this long. You have to have this many bracelets on your arm. You have to do this at a certain time of day. And mm-hmm. we will tell you all that and then you will do it. Yeah, yeah. And we are seeing such a rampant rise in the expression and the reversion to tribalism these days. It's really unsettling and unfortunate. It's terrifying to me, and it's heartbreaking. Uh, my wife is an African woman, and to see uh, people so aggressively and viol- violently define other as inhuman, uh, it's, it's, it's putting me on edge. Yes, as it should. As it should. We should be upset about these things. And a lot of people have moved up into the individual consciousness. Mm-hmm. There's a downside to any of those three, and the down, well, not so much group, but the downside to individual <laughs> consciousness is narcissism. Yep, 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 yep. It's all about me. And we've got to become more group conscious. We must become, in order to survive, we must become more aware of the interconnectivity of all life whether you're talking about your neighborhood, your continent, your planet, mm-hmm. and beyond. Yep, 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 and yep. it's we've got to. We don't have any choice anymore. We've got to do it. And the the silly thing is like nothing matters outside of that. Like there's no nothing holds any value except understanding each other and the world around us and uh, seeking as much peace and harmony between those things as humanly possible, as planetly possible. <laughs> yes, very much so. It's our our survival depends on it. Yes, 
and the planet can do without us. Oh, that's, yeah, that's been made perfectly clear. Yes. <laughs> um, it was fine before us. It'll be fine after us. Yeah. So will yeah. the sun. Mm-hmm. It'll all be fine without us. <laughs> that's, right. We are guests yes. in, this, in this operation. We are not the hosts. Yeah. Um, hey, I wonder if uh, there's anything that you, kids, books, authors could be writing about, thinking about, putting out into the world that would connect to all this. What, what is? Let's back up a little bit at least and get to know you as a children's book author, romantic, public speaker. How do you frame yourself in the worlds of children's books? Oh, as a great fan of children's books, I have co-written two children's books. Mm-hmm. And have been for, gosh, I guess now five or six, maybe more years, a regular speaker at the Children's Book Writers of L.A. Mm-hmm. About once a year, Kathy Fong Yonetta and I go and speak to them about, oh, everything from how to use mythology in the stories to uh, Kathy's an expert on pitching mm-hmm. and how to prepare your stories to present to potential agents, managers, publishers. And having grown up reading and being very fond of books myself, I know the effect that they can have on kids. And so I'm very enthusiastic about promoting reading Mm -hmm. and writing for children. And the good news, too, is that there are so many outlets today for children's literature Certainly the printed book. Yes. Absolutely. But also games and songs and, of course, movies. And given that we know that screens at an early age change brains, Mm -hmm. and we know that young people's brains are, let's say, wired Mm-hmm. differently from those of us who are older and grew up just reading and watching TV and going into a theater to watch movies. Mm-hmm. It's a different kind of, not consciousness so much as, but it's a different kind of technology within the brain, within yeah, the, the yeah. wetware, yep, if yep, you yep, will. Yep, yep. And so we have to be aware of that as we are writing these stories and yet also hold on to I like to put forth the the four E's for storytellers. Mm -hmm. And each of us, as we're writing, should be thinking about at some point when we come back to rewrite or to Can we do a quick game? I'm going to try to guess the four E's. Oh, please do. I have no idea what they are. All right. I'm going to guess empathy has got to be one of the four. Okay. Um, Education? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Entertainment. Uh-huh. And ah, expectation subversion. Oh, ooh, which I is like a bit of a stretch, one. but And how how are you defining that? Expectation subversion. There's gotta be something that surprises the kids. Oh. Some okay. some twist, something that they there has to be a, a, a enough familiar that they aren't disoriented when they get into the book, but there has to mm-hmm. be something new. If there's nothing new why would they be there in the first place? Like, why would they be sticking around for it? Absolutely. I think you're so right. Every good story must contain familiarity and surprise. Yeah. 
Yeah. I'm very excited to get into that, the Oscar Wilde's fairy tales. That one. Oh, fabulous. Yeah. I'm hearing you talk about it. I'm very excited. How close was I on my guests? Did I get any of them right? You did get, you did get two of them. Right. Although I'm thinking now of expanding it because of what you said. <laughs> uh, the four that I have uh, been using are, mm-hmm. uh, your story will be some combination, think of a pie chart, some yep. combination of these four, uh, entertainment, education, enlightenment, and your empathy could come there, Yep. and uh, expression. How much of your own ah, personal self is in Yes, it? that's a huge one that I missed. Uh, yes, involving their personality in the the world around them. Yeah, and sometimes it's just too much. We've all read those books and seen those movies where, mm-hmm. oh, honey, you should have let somebody else edit that. <laughs> or, uh, did you not realize, <laughs> you know, dot, dot, dot. Yes. So <clears throat> when there's too much personal expression, then it becomes... Too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And depending on your subject matter, you know, how do you educate people while still entertaining them? Yeah. How do you enlighten them while still entertaining them? And every story is a different version of a pie chart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no one solution for no, any of them. No. What? How has children's book technology grown? When I grew up, it was kind of Dr. Seuss was the king of the scene. And everything else was kind of like, eh, good enough for now. But I imagine that, that there's uh, almost infinity fantastic books and 10 times that number of mediocre to terrible books available to parents <laughs> and children. What, what is the new, what is the scene like? Oh, uh, very complex. Yeah. As you said, very complex. And the good news is with today's technology for creation and distribution mm-hmm. being so wide open anybody can do it it's a beautiful time to be alive it's really it's incredible right yes and even you know we all don't write a fabulous thing every time we write something yeah 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 but yeah. the fact that people are doing it i think is good because we are feeding and expressing our own creativity and then you just keep doing it and you improve your craft um, you know, art is pretty much a given. Either you've got it or you don't. The ability to do art. Yeah. But there's so many really helpful and very effective tools for all of us to improve our craft. And even if a person just has one good idea and they only want to write that one book, mm-hmm. there are really good craft tools out there that can help them do a really good job of it. So in the children's books, I think we're seeing... Um, more overt sophistication mm-hmm. and a wider range of egalitarianism where you've got a mixture of ethnicities, a mixture of uh, genders or um, sexual expressions. You've got um, more kids who are involved in the wider world than just focused on their own little set of experiences. And I think that's really encouraging. And I was really fortunate that an author, Reese Michelson, got in touch with me to do some consulting on a book that she was writing about Icarus's sister, Mm -hmm. taking off on the Greek myth of Daedalus and Icarus, and uh, imagining that there was a sister who Mm -hmm. was not recognized. And who was this little girl? So 
uh, eventually she asked me to co-write it with her, but I must say it's mostly her writing, and she did a wonderful job. And the book is called Petra Valari, mm-hmm. and it's about this young girl who becomes a scientist and an inventor and also dives into the, the deep mysteries of the gods and the princes and um, aviation mm-hmm. and uh, nature and communing with it, all kinds of things. And uh, Reese does plan more books in the Petra Valari series. So, and she also was a speaker once. She and I uh, spoke together at the uh, Children's Book Writers event. And the main thrust we were saying was, go to the old stories, look at them from a different perspective, Mm -hmm. and tell a new story about the old stories. What do you reckon happens in development um, there's there's the, the the child part of life where somebody asks you what you want to be and you say that you want to be like an astronaut, cowboy, or whatever. You know, whatever it is, it's it's a very lofty, free, and imaginative version of yourself. What, when, when do we hit that point in our lives where we start to feel like we need permission from other people to do anything at all? Um, and how valuable is it to... Uh, the the second question is rhetorical. I mean, like, how unbelievable valuable is it to give kids books that remind them of their their impending autonomy, their ability as adults to be whatever they want to be? Good phrase, impending autonomy. Well, boy, to answer your second question first, the more opportunities that are put out there in front of children, the better. Mm -hmm. And particularly these days when the world is changing so much culturally all around the world and people are no longer, well, in some places they are, but they're now rebelling. But people are no longer being, and now this is addressing your first question, they're no longer being discouraged or held back or in some instances killed for what they want to be and how they want to express in the world. So there's a whole lot of change going on, and I think that's fabulous. And the more that people who write for children can foster that kind of open-ended imagination and aspiration, the better. Mm -hmm. We, We have to do it. We have to do it. I am so sad that, uh, Trans people have to fight for the right to use the bathroom they prefer to use. I am so happy that we are at a point where it's a national discussion about which bathroom trans people should be used. Like that we have gotten to that argument shows such a state of not luxury, but of development and of forward momentum that was not thinkable 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 1,000 years ago, just not even on the docket. So no question. Again, no questions <laughs> embedded anywhere mm-hmm. in here. I am, I'm throwing in the towel. I'm going to give you the show. Is that okay? Uh, sure. All right, here we go. Sure. Morpheus, Morpheus is fighting Neo. Okay, let's start with that. <laughs> yes, let's. <laughs> let's talk a little bit about Matrix because that is an important concept that needs to be put out for every generation. It's mm-hmm. an ancient, ancient, ancient concept. In fact, 
One of my favorite examples is from Hindu mythology. And when asked, what is the nature of the cosmos? The answer was, it's Indra's net of gems. Indra mm-hmm. being the creator god. Indra's net of gems is like a hologram. Mm-hmm. It's this huge net. And every place you have a cross hatch on it, there is a gem. Mm-hmm. Now, that gem is its own thing. But in it is reflected every other gem on the net. It's a hologram. Mm-hmm. It's fabulous. It's the interconnectivity without the loss of individuality. And that's what we're striving for with group consciousness. Mm-hmm. And we can see that manifested uh, physically, or at least in you know airwaves, with uh, the internet. Mm-hmm. Just because you can be in contact with everybody else who's on the internet, you know, if you can get them to tune in to you, yep, yep, yep. You don't lose you, but you are interconnected with everybody. And this is an ancient, ancient concept. Spider Woman, in many mythologies, is about that same concept, about the interconnectedness of us all. And so every culture and every generation needs to be exposed to that idea. Mm-hmm. And I think the Matrix did a wonderful job of doing it currently and bringing that up and, and personalizing it and also showing us what it's, a, what it's like to become an individual instead mm-hmm. of just a cog in the battery system of the Matrix. And also the sheer power that can manifest in an individual when they understand the 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 uh, web of gems that surround them and how to fully integrate themselves into that the web of gems that is the world we live in. There is there is a lot of power in that. Um, you there was no question. Now I know how it feels when there's no question in there. <laughs> well, let, let me ask you a question then. Um, how good of a job do you think? Mm-hmm. that either we as Americans or we as humans are doing to increase our awareness that everything we say and do can have a rippling effect. Are we seeing it enough, do you think? And how many of us uh, are actively keeping that in mind? And third part of the question, how can we promote more conscious awareness of it? There's a lot embedded in all of those questions, a yeah. lot of thoughts, and I'm going to try to work through them as efficiently and clearly as possible. Um, there, what's what's the Tom Hardy quote? It's uh, pain is weakness leaving the body. Yeah, That's not bad. I, I wish I could take credit for it. I preload the <laughs> attribution on that quote because it's such a good one. Um, we are. I don't. I don't think we are doing a very good job at connecting right now. I think we could be doing better, and I think it's causing a lot of pain. And I hope against hope that pain is weakness leaving our species. Um, I think growth would be fast, not faster, more more efficient if uh, the capitalist machine wasn't the the guiding light in American culture. I feel like that derails our humanity incredibly and that there is uh, potential for a lot more 
growth and a lot more efficient growth as a species, as an interconnected species, if we were guided by humanitarian ideals and not uh, so much by capitalist ideals. And that is being said, knowing that our species exists 100% in a democracy. We decide if it's capitalism that guides us. We decide if it's humanitarianism that uh, that that guides us, and I don't I don't buy for a minute that it, that the machine is pulling us. We are pushing the machine in front of us, which is uh, disheartening to know that we push that machine, and it's inspiring because it means that we don't have to, but we have to agree not to have to push it. Absolutely, the good thing about human caused problems is that they can be solved by humans. That's the sh- that's the way to say it in less than fifteen minutes. <laughs> and and also though in in your um, comment about we're all pushing it, I, I by default those who do nothing are allowing it to be pushed. Absolutely, absolutely. And the the uh, another nice quote. If I can if I can play the quote game. Absolutely. Uh, the Let's opposite do it. of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference. Oh yeah. And I'm going to jump right in there. Please do. Do a quote from my Texas grandmother who said... Oh, this is what I I was waiting for this one. And this is kind of going back to rom-coms and such. And she Mm -hmm. said at one point, men can be had back, but there's nothing deader than a woman's dead love. Boom. Drop the bomb on them with that one. Yeah. I think we got a thundercrack sound effect. (laughs) There's the thunder. Oh, you don't have your headphones on. You don't know that the thunder is cracking above our heads right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's nothing scares me more in life. When when my wife is done with someone, she's done with a capital done with that person. Mm -hmm. And nothing Mm -hmm. scares my heart more than if there is a day where she says she's done with me. Yeah. Because I know I I will have to rearrange everything I thought about what my life would be if she says that. I hope that never happens. Me too. Me, welcome to the club. Get in yeah. line and hoping <laughs> that never happens. Yes, yes. What were we talking about? I feel like I've derailed oh, well, everything. About, you know, where? How can we become more aware of and then consciously act on the awareness of the interconnectedness and how uh, our words and our actions can affect a great mm-hmm. number of people? They can. How uh, they say it's a simple puzzle to get more Instagram followers or to get more people to listen to you. I have not cracked that puzzle. I don't see it as simple at all. And I reckon my my message might be too milk toast. Like my message is, what do you think? That seems to be the guiding light, in, which doesn't burn up the Twitter feed, does it? Nobody's retweeting, well, what do you think? Yeah, but, you know, people have been killed over that, like Socrates. You know? <laughs> I'll take the comparison. Thank you. You just buttered me up so perfectly. Oh, but it's a legitimate question. Is And nothing is more interesting because I will always think what I think and I will never think what other people think. That's all I, that's why I want to know. Yeah. Yeah. Look at you getting me all fired up without (laughs) even asking a question. (laughs) Well, and here's another, I I collect all these wonderful quotes and Mm -hmm. obviously you do too. Uh, My teacher, Georgia Lambert, who was teaching the comparative uh, mysticism, uh, had something so pithy to say and I find it. I'm quoting this thing almost every day. 
and that is that most people don't have thoughts. What they have are opinions about their emotions. Yeah, I'll spend the next week or two untangling that one. That's yeah. like a that's a multi-day meditation yeah. that you just gave me. <laughs> but to to get humans up into the mental plane, if you will, mm-hmm. which is above the emotional plane and affects the emotional plane. People who are thinkers affect people who are only feelers. And you can see that in advertising, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, propaganda, mm-hmm. okay, and hopefully education. Propaganda is scary because we know the tricks. They're on record, how it works, what it does. Yes, and yes. it still works just fine. Anybody mm-hmm. can look up what the trick is. And as soon as you know it, the magic is over. Uh-huh. Willful ignor- naivety, like <laughs> yeah, that's where it drives me the most nuts. Is how people love a good piece of propaganda. They'll they'll mm-hmm. gobble it up enthusiastically. Yeah, Please. particularly if it even, it, whether it scares them, mm-hmm. or whether it makes them feel like, well, I'm, I'm chosen. Yep, 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 yep. I'm yep. better than you. In yep. fact, I'm better than all of you. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the best par- propaganda is so demeaning. Is so impossibly demeaning to, to the other. Oh yeah. Whoever other is. It's it's incredible. Um what where 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 were we before I hijacked your thought? It was uh <laughs> oh, people acting on emotions. Yeah, yeah. Getting people to actually think more. Logical thought, mm-hmm. logic versus um emotions. Thoughts take a lot of work though. Yeah they, they do. Like you have to think about what you want to have a thought about. Mm-hmm. Then you have to think mm-hmm. about things in relation to that thing. You have to make a thought. Very few thoughts are given as gifts. Yes, that's uh, that's very true. You have to work for them. Yeah. And that's why it's said in some of the mystery schools, the uh, initiatory systems, mm-hmm. that um, that particular step has to be consciously done as opposed to some of the other steps as we evolve in our consciousness, are just sort of evolutionary. But you have to seriously say, I'm going to develop a brain. I'm going to develop a thought process. Mm -hmm. That's what education is supposed to be for. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we've gotten away from that, and we see the results of that. Not that that's the only cause of what's going on today. Yes, yeah, yeah. But it, it boggles, boggles my mind how reticent Americans are to put money into elementary, junior high school, and high school education. It makes no sense whatsoever. Well, it does if you don't want an educated populace that could call you out on what you're doing. It does if you just want consumers. That is my willful naivete. I want to believe that nobody feels that way about other people, even though obviously I know that they do, but I like inside of my heart if I admit that so much of my reality comes crumbling down. <laughs> oh dear. That I'm clinging, I, by a thread I'm able to hold on to this reality <laughs> that I want to exist in. Oh, yeah. Well, as long as it doesn't perpetuate the problem. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying. Yeah. I promise you I'm trying. <laughs> Good. Because we absolutely have got to get more people thinking. Yeah, yeah. And you don't want, once again, you don't want to lose your feelings. But to be controlled by your feelings is to be controlled. Or, to quote another, as Frank Herbert says in his Dune novel, Second Dune pull of the day. Yeah. Our first guest today was, was talking Dune. Oh, brilliant, brilliant author. He says, uh, oh, no, I'm sorry. It wasn't Frank Herbert. It was Robert, ah. uh, Robert Anton Wilson. 
um, who said, people with convictions are convicts. What you believe imprisons you. And the Quran says something like that, that we are all just prisoners of our own desires. Yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, but Herbert has tons of great quotes. When I pull out to reread again the Dune trilogy, mm-hmm. it's like, it's like a parrot died between the pages. There's so many things highlighted, <laughs> underlined, in different colors. Green and yellow and red all throughout. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, let's do it. The party's just getting started. Oh, okay. Take the first poll. Can I shuffle you can do, these up a bit? You can do bit? whatever you want. This is, your, right. this is your party, not mine. Now, now we get, come to the philosophical question. Is there such a thing as random chance? I think about it every time we reach into that bowl. Yeah, I what really do. You think? do. What do you um, think? Uh, <laughs> yes, because sometimes we get real non-starters of questions. <laughs> okay, so there must be some randomness in the universe. <laughs> All right. Yeah, um, I think it's about boundaries. You know, there's you set some guidelines, but then within that, there can mm-hmm. be randomness. I believe Maybe? there's randomness. I hope there's randomness. I hope so, too. It's if not, not then why are we here? If there's no randomness, then it's all predestined. Like, we're on a set track, isn't it? Ew, yeah, no. Who wants that? Get no. out of here with no randomness. <laughs> that wouldn't be any fun at all. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's... Do you believe that we have free will? I am not sold oh. on the idea, because here's the thing, is we have this... In our brains, we run simulations of a million different possibilities of what could happen in the future. Uh But we only get one thread that we actually get to live our lives. Like once it happens, it can't unhappen. It can't be happen. It can't have happened differently once it's over. And because of that, I'm not entirely sure that we have free will. Can we schedule about a five hour conversation about this? Yes. It's so fascinating. And, you know, people have killed each other over this question, too, whether or not we have free will. I'm not saying we don't. I'm just saying there's. A, I'm not sold. Yeah, I'm, I don't know either. And okay. I, I, in fact, I was just writing on one of my novels not mm-hmm. too long ago where one of the persons who is a priest, Catholic mm-hmm. priest, is asking another one, is there really such a thing as free will? Because we've been created by... God mm-hmm. and with certain, you know, et cetera, like what you were saying. I don't know, but I think we need to keep asking the question. Uh, happy to. Uh, well, let's let's uh, put a pin in that one for the and, next yes. five hour conversation okay. we have. We might have to do a mini series just on free will. That would that be would, so fascinating. Yeah. Seriously, because you could look into all kinds of cultures and mythologies. And there's some, there's some line out of the Rubiot where mm-hmm. um, the speaker is questioning free will, and it goes something like, um, is saying to God, don't blame me for what I do. Oh, thou who didst with pitfall and with gin, beset the path I was to wander in. And then goes on to say, don't blame me. Mm -hmm. You made me like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, guy. Yeah. Make a better me if you want me to be better, huh? Right. Or don't make martinis so tasty or whatever, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. What was the question? Let's see. What did the you question pull? is, oh, it's something I do not understand. Tales All right. That's why we have this bell that we can okay. just ding out. And like I said, if there was no randomness, we would not get <laughs> so many questions that don't apply. What compels you towards activism? What stops you? Oh, that's a very good question and fits right in with what we were just discussing. Mm-hmm. What compels me to activism is idealism. Mm-hmm. I can envision a better world. 
Other people have envisioned better worlds. I like what a lot of people have come up with. And uh, a lot of people are doing things that are making improvements today in the world. I mean, a lot more people than if you just listen to the news you'd ever even think. Mm -hmm. We have a program called Mythic Challenges. And it's about using mythic tools to address, and this is what I'm doing about it. Uh, Mythic Challenges offers these storytelling tools of mythic themes, archetypes, and symbols to people who are doing stories that address the 15 global challenges as identified by the Millennium Project and the United Nations. For instance, um, ecology, water, women's rights, education, uh, technology, Mm -hmm. transnational organized crime, um, the rich-poor gap, Mm -hmm. 15 global challenges. And any of those can be addressed by story Mm -hmm. very effectively and have been for eons. Some of them, others are new problems that we have created in the Anthropocene era. So uh, what I'm doing about it is helping people find effective story tools to make a point about these problems. And our pilot project was with the high school in Los Angeles and their sister Mm -hmm. schools in Afghanistan through the State Department. So these kids made amazing videos Mm -hmm. using uh, mythic themes, archetypes, and symbols. And one of the best ones about the rich-poor gap, which is the Robin Hood story. And Mm -hmm. these kids made a, a great video about these two brothers who go into rich neighborhoods when people are gone and they go into their homes and they rob them. But what they take are clothes and food Mm -hmm. and sometimes some money. Mm -hmm. And then they go give them to the homeless people out on the streets. They're playing Robin Hood. Yeah. And kids put it together. It was really good. And a number of the videos that the kids did have won awards. Awesome. Yeah. So this stuff works. We know that the mythic tools work. It's just um, helping us all become more conscious of the rich legacy that's mm-hmm. available to us that we can then turn around and put in children's stories, yep, 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 stories yep, yep. for young people, and for everybody. I feel like the, the mythic stories are, are, are inextricably linked to our evolution. Like there's no, there's no debate as to whether or not we can't be where we are without the power of storytelling throughout our species history. It, it, uh, economically communicates so much more information than any other, (laughs) any other way, like to get thoughts, to get ideas into people's head, to change behavior. The, The amount that can be, the amount that we can move the needle with stories is is undeniable and beautiful. Um, yes, absolutely it is. What stops you? What, what, how, what would have to change for you to be doing more activism? And I'm not saying that you're not doing enough. This <laughs> sounds very standoffish, that question, but it's not meant that way in the least. Oh, gosh. What stops me? Sometimes it's um, sometimes one falls into the slough of despond. Ah, uh, yes, yes, yes. Welcome to my... <laughs> my recently yeah and and sometimes it's just overwhelming and mm-hmm. despair sets in and you just go well as my friends would smile if they hear this as i have said for decades in my cynical self 
humanity were a failed experiment. Just nuke us all and start over. Mm-hmm. In the slough of despond, that's what one can think. Mm-hmm. But um, we can't stop there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can't stop there. And we can't, uh, to the best of our ability, we don't want to contribute to that mindset or that feeling either. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it takes a while to come out of it because sometimes stuff happens and it it does affect you personally. Mm-hmm. And we are all affected by the network of thoughts and emotions and actions and activities around us. And it's it's difficult these days. And I think a lot of us are stopped by the why bother. Despair is a, uh, an understandable reaction to the world. Depending on what information you ingest and how you process it, it is an yep. entirely understandable response. Um, I wish despair wasn't such a big part of my life recently. I really do. But it is. And I'm trying not to, to entertain it any more than it demands it be entertained. Well, good. That That is unfortunate. Yeah. When that does happen. It's it's all it's all tricks of the brain though. Like it's my my brain has the thoughts in favor of despair, and my brain has the thoughts against despair. Like it, it's very strange to frame it like that. That it's my, it's all inside. Well, yes. In yes. a way, in a very real way. In a very real way, but you know, going back to the Matrix for a moment, where else would it be? <laughs> but in your head, you know. That's. Yes. yes. And, and then, what is reality? I don't know. I just think I know what I think I know. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. I read. I was teaching some classes in Japan, um, and we wow. got into philosophy every now and then with the higher level students. Wow. And I introduced the idea, like the, it's possibly more likely that this is a simulation than it is a real life, because uh, if you can run one simulation of this quality, you could run thousands of simulations of this quality, you could run millions, so that we are in the real reality is one one millionth probability of simulations of this quality. Like, And a student raised his hand and said, I still have to turn in my homework and do tests, so what difference does it make? (laughs) Oh my! <laughs> I thought, well, you, you win this round. Uh huh. <laughs> but it doesn't really make whether it's a simulation or a real. It, it's still all we got is what we all we all we reliably have is what we think and feel. Everything yeah. else is is yeah. might be illusory. It might be. I it hope it's be. not. I hope it's not. I hope that you are a <laughs> real person who experiences joy regularly. Yeah, you want to be like. Have you seen Galaxy Quest? A bit ago, Miss Sigourney Weaver's in that one, yes. right? Yes, 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 yes. And Alan Rickman. Yes. And, yeah. Doesn't he just have the best voice on planet Earth? Oh, absolutely, There's nobody yes. that comes close to that voice. And Sam Rockwell's yes. in it, and Tim Allen. It's wonderful. And there's a there's a sequence where these, these kids, these like science nerds, mm-hmm. Star Trek nerds, because it's a takeoff on Star Trek, mm-hmm. spoof. And they come to a, a Comic Con, and they're going up to the captain, you know, Tim Allen. They go, "So we got these things. We got this question about uh, the design of the engine room, and so we're looking at this." And he goes, "Kids, it's it's all made up. It's not. No, no, we know it's no. It's all made up. It's just 
a show. Yeah. Well, the, the movie goes on and on and on and on. And sure enough, he's taken out into inner space, outer space. And the others mm-hmm. join him. And somebody's really built a starship. And they're fighting a bad guy. And they come back. And they're, they're in the midst of this big dilemma. And he calls up one of the kids. And says, where is, where is the reset? Where, yeah. And he can says, you walk me through it? Yeah, walk me through it. But and it, he says, when he says to the kid, it's all real. Mm-hmm. And the kid just goes, I knew it. <laughs> I hope that that happens yes. for all of us. <laughs> Either when we die. I was right the whole time. I was it yes that's actually um uh swinky that's my wife's name she's listening oh. i hope she takes the earphones out right now because i have decided that if i outlive her the last thing i will say to her is you were right all along oh because she so pretty sweet. much was and romantic and and i hope that if she outlives me that she has the decency to say the same <laughs> thing whether it's true or not is irrelevant at that oh point oh my or is it your turn? Okay. Yeah, yeah, you pull one. Okay. This is what I like it when we when we relinquish control of the whole thing to to fate. What'd you get this time? It says no details attached. All right. So that is in the event that you worked on a project that you had to sign an NDA for. Oh. And you have a good story, but you don't want to tell any of the details of the story. And this is why we have a bell, so you can ring out if you have no interest in what that is. <laughs> Well, I would say, uh, actually, when I sign an NDA, I stick to it. Mm -hmm. And even after the um, expiration, Mm -hmm. if it's a short term, typically I I tend. I think that there's a thing called, well, I think silence is real important. Mm -hmm. And also in the creative process, there is a time when you do not want to talk about what you're doing, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is Mm -hmm. what the Mm -hmm. NDA actually legalizes and formalizes. But there's a time in the creative process where you don't want to get up and say to someone, oh, here's what I thought of last night. This is a great idea. I had this great dream. Mm -hmm. Because it will diffuse the energy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think, let's let's talk about no details attached. Mm -hmm. You could say, I had this great dream and it's going to make a great story. Oh, well, tell me about it. No, I don't want to talk about it yet. Mm -hmm. Because you don't. You don't want to diffuse the, the energy of it, and you don't want other people's ideas coming in and distorting mm-hmm. the clarity, the dot in the center of your original idea. So sometimes, you bet, you don't talk about the details. Perfectly handled. <laughs> Grace and elegance. Oh, this one. I'm, I'm, that one's retired. That one has never made sense to anyone that has ever been asked it. <laughs> what is the one medical advancement you wished hadn't been invented and why? That is actually a pretty good one. I'll be thinking about that. It's a very tough question. I can't think of a single medical advancement I would wish to be removed. Unless you said advancement at the time. So if you went to say... Um, Electroshock therapy, yeah, which yeah. was an advancement in the early 1900s. Eh, yeah. Or how about lobotomies? Yes. Yeah. Or uh, if we classify the the uh, push of opioids from the medical community. Oh, yes. If that's a medical advancement, that's one I wished had not been invented or handled in the way it was. 
Yes, so agree with that. But we got another one, a backup question from okay. that one, from that bizarro question that is always thorny as they come. This comes from my, my nephew, seven-year-old, eight-year-old oh. Steve. He says, what is the best thing in your life? Oh, okay. Um, I would say that it is. Perfect. You're good at this. You're, you're really good. I, I, I start to wonder if you spend a lot of time thinking and then speaking professionally. I, you know, that's not a bad idea. I could look into that. I think you might want to try those two activities. You seem naturally inclined to both of them. Your turn, please. Okay. And, oh, well, two came out. Well, let's see what this little one is. What have you got? This is exciting. Okay. What is your favorite Japanese restaurant in Little Tokyo? Hey, we can, if you don't have a one spot in Little Tokyo, do you have a Japanese restaurant that you like anywhere in yes, LA? Yes, absolutely. Yamashiro Restaurant in Hollywood at the top of a hill overlooking Hollywood. What are we looking at? Is it a $100 commitment per plate? $30? No, no it isn't. It is. You can spend that much. And oh yeah, get you really can spend that lot. much. You can. Yeah, you did. Do it <laughs> Anyone will keep taking game. your money yeah. if you give it to them. No, it's quite reasonable, and oh. the uh, view mm-hmm. is fantastic. If you can go towards sunset and see the sunset from Yamashiro, mm-hmm. looking out, sometimes you can even see the ocean. And it's delicious food, and it's a wonderful setting. I have got a list, a million things long, of the dates that. She's not in the country because of visa issues. Hmm. Um, and I'm really sick of it. I've had it up to here with these, uh, these the borders aren't tight enough oh, yeah. propagandists. Yeah. The borders are very tight. Let me assure you all in America, the borders are very, very secure. I have not seen my wife in over a year. Anyway, the list of Bless date you. spots that we are going to go to is... Um, a rap sheet a mile long at this point. Good. But I hope you get, I hope she soon is here. Bless your hearts. And that you have a lot of fun making your way through that list. It's it's so exciting. It's so exciting. That's, that's the source of my despair. It's not the national climate. It's just like, can I have my wife back? Government, oh. please, can I have my wife back? Oh, gosh. Um, so, yeah, border security is fine. Anyone who tells you otherwise is lying to get something that they want. Hmm, fancy that. Uh, <laughs> well, good luck with that. Thank you. <laughs> if I don't stop, I won't stop. So we'll pull us out of that one quickly. But thank you for the recommendation. I'm looking forward to going to that one. Improv poetry. Go. Improv poetry? Yeah. Okay. Let's see if I can do a haiku right off. Uh, let's see. And if you need a minute, we can cut. We can have some dead air, and then I'll trim it down. Okay. So take your time. All right. Well, let me just try it free, freehand. Let's see. Mm-hmm. This conversation sparks more thoughts, more ideas. What now shall we do? <laughs> Haiku for you. Thank you. I appreciate the haiku. That was, you are good at this. You're, you might be the, the new reigning champion of the fishbowl. You're tearing it up. It's uh, a fun concept. What is your go-to karaoke song? 
Oh, I won't have the title right. Or that, but it's, it's out in the West Texas town of El Paso. It's the it's a Marty Robbins song, and a bunch of us from Texas used to sing it all the time mm-hmm. at parties. And I can't remember the title of it. Did you know anyone who did go crazy out there on the plains? Like you said, uh, you either get creative or you get crazy. Oh yeah. What happened? What? How did that manifest? You don't have to give any name. No details attached. I'm just wondering. <laughs> Well, I'm actually uh, starting to work on a series of children's books about Mm -hmm. a, uh, surprise, a little girl growing up in a ranching town in Texas in the Mm -hmm. 50s. And, uh, oh my goodness, there were all kinds of stories. And, uh, oh, people disappearing Mm -hmm. and just not being heard of for a long time and then coming back. And not explaining at all where they were gone or what they did. Um, people who were having affairs and thought nobody knew, mm-hmm. but the whole town knew. <laughs> and for some reason just stayed silent about it. Mm-hmm. Um, plenty of stories in those small, almost pressure cooker situations. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, one of my favorites isn't quite crazy, but I thought it was quite clever. Um, one of the guys who was in our group, his mother, when she was trying to wean him off the bottle, she said, okay. Are you talking the baby bottle or baby the booze bo- bottle? Oh. Okay. <laughs> well, I don't think he never became a big drinker, so okay. I guess it worked for both. <laughs> but um, she said she was just tired of doing the, the bottle thing, and she was over it. Mm-hmm. So she said, I know what let's do, Mikey. Let's go out in the backyard and let's throw all your bottles and break them and see who can do the most, you know, hit the most bottles on the rocks. So they did. They took out all his little glass at the time, baby bottles, mm-hmm. and he threw them at the, and they all broke. And it was fun and he was yeah, just laughing. Yeah, yeah. So later that night when he said, Mommy, where's my bottle? She said, Oh, honey, you broke them all. Don't you remember? <laughs> And he said, I was kind of quiet for a while, and then I thought, well, okay. <laughs> At least it was worth it. Nothing's more fun than breaking glass when you're a kid. That's it's so true. exciting. It's true. That's a perfect price to pay to give up a bottle or two. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see you do one. Let's do a couple more, and okay. then I don't want this to end, but logistics get in the way of my desires sometimes. Yeah, boy, that happens. Okay, let's see. Where do you go hiking? Um, often up Outpost, which is in Hollywood. Okay. And up around Yamashiro. Okay, okay. And then also sometimes around Lake Hollywood. Okay, okay. Oh, was that one vetoed? Yeah. Hard pass on the... Uh, yeah. It happens. They don't all apply because some of them are very industry specific to the guest mm-hmm. so it's okay if it doesn't apply oh, you can you okay. can pass by anyone i am curious though i can't resist oh my this is a real good one what oh. are th- the one you just vetoed uh-huh. that was one of mine <gasps> before Sorry. the first guest i had to write six down just so there was something in the fishbowl anyway oh, dear. Ah, what a faux pas you just made. Oh man, I've offended the director. I'll never work in this town again. (laughs) And I could have done the graceful thing and just kept it quiet, but I decided not to. (laughs) Well, see that spark of rebelliousness. What did you get there? What's what's the one that's better than what I wrote? Well, one that I can more adequately address. Okay. Uh, What other career would you most like to do, and why do you think you'd be good or bad at it? 
I would like to be... First of all, faulty premise, why would you want to do something if you were going to be bad at it? Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Let's stick what, with the non-faulty uh, okay. parts of this premise. <laughs> all right. Geology fascinates me. Heck yeah. I'd love to know when I look at the striations in mm-hmm. the face of a rock cliff... Well, okay, there's the iridium layer from 65 million years ago when the comet fell and wiped out the dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. Okay, ooh, look at that sandstone. Ooh, look at that gypsum there. Oh, this was the uplift of the Pleistocene. I Fascinating. Love, I love that you want to get into geology uh, for mythology. Yeah. You're still, you're, yeah, you realize you so. just described the exact same job you're doing now of studying the myths and the stories and how they evolved over the centuries. I never <laughs> thought of it that way. Thank you. Kind of a cheat with your <laughs> You did well with that. All right. You want to wind down? Whatever works best for your logistics. Okay. I, I don't want to wind down, but I fear that we should. Okay. Uh, we got some wind down music that you won't hear. It... I knew I could get. I knew I could. Yes, the temptation I could was too great. Tom no, I, Sawyer, that yeah. a little bit. Uh, here of we my go. My own free will. Yes, yes, yes. If we have it in the first place, I will say that it was your free will. I do want to. I want. I want to get back into that one. We. Yeah. I'm gonna start. I'm yeah. gonna start thinking about that. And after we're off the air, I will say, who would you suggest for that conversation? Because I imagine you talk to a lot of people mm-hmm. who have a lot of. Uh, wise and intelligent thoughts on these topics. Sure, we will. So, okay. Um, don't know why I included that part in the episode, but let's wind <laughs> down so we can get to the post-convo convo. Okay. This has been the Hollywood Fishbowl, and I've been your host, Jesse Kester. I will continue to be Jesse Kester as long as I live. If you liked what you heard, you can find us at www.hollywoodfishbowl.com or on the Schminstagrams or the Schmwitters at HWFishbowl. But you know it, I know it, we all know it. It's not about us. It's about our guest. Pamela, where can people find you if they liked what they heard? They can go to mythworks.net, M-Y-T-H-W-O-R-K-S.net, or PamelaJSmith.com. Thank you so much for joining. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Uh, Much more interesting and exciting than I had even imagined, and I'd always heard good things about how you conduct an interview. I need to wear a tie so I can straighten it at the end. I can't wait till our next conversation. Oh, me too. Thank you so much. It's really been great. Bye.